If you didn't have a Bible with you, which most of you don't probably, you might reach one under the pew there. I think uh, you'll want to look at this. And if not, uh, just listen carefully. I'm going to look at two passages of Scripture with you. The first is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Is that about page 967 in your Bible? I just checked it and forgot it. This one just sets the stage for the second one. Verse 10. For godly grief, this is 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. So what I want to do is just highlight the fact that at the end of the year, everybody has regrets. We have Thanksgiving for sure. We've heard some of it. And we have regrets. Some are big and some are small. We're sinners. We don't like sinning, therefore we regret sinning, therefore everybody has regrets. And notice there are two kinds of regret. There's the killing kind and there's the saving kind. So let's read it again. Godly grief, regret, sorrow over things that we've done, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. You feel broken, sad, bad. You repent, you turn, you find forgiveness, you move on without it dragging you down. Whereas worldly grief produces death. There is a kind of regret, feeling bad, that is paralyzing, killing, defeating, ruining. And the difference is what? So the second text is in Micah. Um, I wonder if you can find it. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Got that? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. So find Micah, last chapter of the book, chapter 7. This is one of my all-time favorite Old Testament passages because it is so amazingly dense with the gospel and how to manage our failures. Uh, some of you have been around long enough have heard me say the phrase gutsy guilt. This is the text I base the term gutsy guilt on. Gutsy guilt is looking in the mirror, seeing what you don't like, and being bold in spite of it for righteousness sake. How can the world can you do that? How, how can you know you're guilty, know you're a sinner, know you failed, and walk into the future of 2009 with all your guns loaded and all your fibers tense for righteousness? How can you make that turn? How can you do that? That's what this text is about. So I want to read it first, and then we're going to look at ten phrases in it. Boom, 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 boom. And they're not in the order that they come. Now, before we look at it, 
Um, I'm so encouraged by the testimonies. Thank you for those of you. If we'd had another two hours, we would have just kept right on going. I'm sorry if you didn't get a chance to say yours. Buttonhole somebody after the service and tell them your story, okay? So that it gets told and God gets the glory. Um, We're all over the map here. And about a quarter of a mile from here is the Matthews family who about five hours ago lost their baby. Little Luke Matthews, born to Jennifer and and, uh, Brian, uh, born two minutes later, he's gone. Um, So we know that, right? We know there are people on tiptoe joy tonight and there are people hanging on by their fingernails to God's strange providences and his grace in it all. Some families can feel cursed. Some families seem to get more than their share, right? Don't they? At least my experience in 28 years of pastoring is that God does not divvy up pain evenly. He doesn't. I don't know why. It clusters. It clusters. And so you can feel cursed. Well, I want to help you fight through a sense that you may have about, my life is jinxed. Nothing goes right for me. I have blown it. Now what do you do? Okay, here we are at Micah chapter 7, and we'll read verses 8 and 9. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. That is a strange and wonderful passage of Scripture. So let's break it down into ten short pieces and look at them about one minute each. Okay, here we go. I'll try to point you to the part of the verse. I almost made a little photocopy of of the text with the verses in pieces, but sorry, ran out of time. Number one, about uh, second phrase in verse eight, when I fall, he has fallen. We don't know what the sin was. It may be. Israel is speaking here corporately, and they have fallen into the hands of Babylon because of all of their idolatry. You could take it individually, or you could take it corporately. So first observation is, this person has stumbled into something. We'll find out. So a fall has happened. Number two, second phrase in verse nine. Because I have sinned against him. Now we know what kind of fall he's talking about. He sinned. He didn't stumble innocently and fall and blame it on somebody else. He sinned. Okay, so we have a fall and it is sin. Number three. First phrase in verse eight. 
Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. So we know that enemies are looking on, they're seeing the fall and the sin, and they're gloating. They're gloating. Ha! You were so righteous. You were one of those goody two-shoes. You were a churchgoer, and you blew it. So there's, they're gloating. They're looking at the, the Christian or the Jewish person or Israel, the chosen apple of God sitting in Babylon. And they're gloating over the condition. And the, the Christian, the prophet, the godly one says, don't do that. Don't rejoice over me, O my enemy. Number four, verse nine, first phrase. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. So he's under God's anger. He's God's man. God's people, God's woman, and he's bearing indignation from the Lord. And he says, I'll bear it. I'll bear it. I sinned. I fell. People are laughing. And I'm going to bear it because God is rightfully angry at me. I shamed his name. Number five. You know, I should have read verse 7 as well, seeing that I'm going to draw some of these points. Let me read verse 7 so you can... As for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Okay, so level 5, point 5, last phrase in verse 7. My God will hear me. So the indignation of the Lord is on him. He has sinned. People are gloating, and he prays, and he's confident God will hear. This is starting to emerge like we've seen the guilt. Now we're starting to see gutsy. Absent the gutsy part, you'd say, oh, I hope he'll hear. I don't think he'll hear. I don't think God listened to the prayer of sinners. You'll talk like that. But if there's gutsy guilt, you say, my God will hear me. Number six, second phrase in verse seven. I will wait for the God of my salvation. The discipline of the Lord doesn't come with any prescribed limits. An hour? A year? What kind of indignation, what kind of anger will I have to bear? I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Enemy, don't you gloat over me. I'm crying out to him. He'll hear me and I'll wait. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the miry bog, out of the pit. He put my feet upon a rock. He made my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. Many will see and fear and trust the Lord. And I always stop there and I say to people sitting in my office, so how long did he wait? It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. How long did he wait? Doesn't tell you. That's good. Because some of, I mean, Joseph, he had to wait 13 years. It got worse and worse and worse as he went down further and further into Egypt, into dungeon. So where are you in your waiting? So number six, middle of verse seven, I will wait for 
the God of my salvation. Number seven. One, two, third phrase in verse eight. Are you with me? When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. So under the indignation of God, crying out to the God, confident that he will hear, waiting for the Lord, it's dark. And the Lord is his light in the darkness. I presume that means something like the circumstances are bleak. His indignation is real. This isn't the way I want life to be. Things aren't the way they should be. And I have a light here. My one light in this darkness is the Lord. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Number eight starts to get amazing now. Third phrase in verse nine. Until he pleads my cause. Now, to to feel the wonder of this, let me start at the beginning of verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. And I will bear it how long? I will bear his indignation how long? I will live under the cloud and darkness of his indignation how long? Until he pleads my cause. That's really strange. He's the one who's mad at me. The darkness is coming from him. He's got the anger that's got me under the indignation and the darkness is from him. And I'm staying here until he pleads my cause. Does that sound like anything you know? Does that sound like gospel to you? Does that sound like the cross to you? Does that sound like the dynamics of the atonement? God got the world under the darkness of his wrath until he sends an advocate, he sends a savior, he sends the one who vindicates his glory and covers our sin. This is amazing. I mean, this is gutsy guilt. If there ever was gutsy guilt, simultaneous awareness of God's indignation and advocacy. Can you handle that? Christian living is complicated. If you want simple answers to your emotional life, you won't find it here. The emotional life of the Christian is strange. We have to learn to live in complexities. Like, I know you're angry at me and I know how terribly I sinned. And I also know that you are not only angry with me, you are going to plead my cause in due time. Nobody else can deliver me from your anger but you. You will. That's gutsy. That's really gutsy. That was number eight. Number nine. Next phrase in verse nine. Start over. I'll keep reading verse nine. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment and then you tremble at what the next word will be. Will it be against or for? And thank God it's for me. 
everything about justice would say, now he's going to execute judgment against me. And I'm cooked. It's over. Because I've sinned. And this guy is so gutsy about God's grace. He's waiting here under indignation until an advocate comes and pleads his cause. And God now, from the bench of the universe, executes judgment. And it turns out to be for me. This is the gospel. This is what came true in Jesus. Everything was pointing to Jesus here. Everything was pointing right here. This is representative of that. The judgment happened for me. It happened at Calvary. The judgment that should have fallen on me, wiped me out, fell on Jesus, my advocate. Number 10. The rest of verse 9. He will bring me out to the light and I will look on his vindication. I won't stay in this darkness forever. In there, I've seen light. I've seen light. I've known he hears my prayer. I've known he will advocate for my cause. I've known judgment will come for me. And now here it comes and I'm walking out into the light. And I'm beholding his vindication and my deliverance. Now, that's the end of this text. We're in the light. It's all okay now. And we've learned how to live in gutsy guilt. If you don't study to live by gutsy guilt, I don't know how you will manage your sins and be on top of it. I just don't know how you do it. You either have to minimize your sins and say, oh, they're not so bad. Or you have to sink under them and say, I'm I'm done for. I can't live the Christian life. It's just no good. But if you get a handle on how terrible sin is, how serious God takes it, and how unbelievably powerful his grace is to advocate for his people in their sin, you will be able to get through your failing life. Because I promise you, you will fail in 2009. Just like you failed in 2008. But you don't have to wallow in it, and you don't have to be defeated by it or destroyed by it. Let's let's move to the Lord's table by dropping to the end of the chapter. This this is beautiful. There's a song. I looked in our red hymnal. It's not there. I'm just, I wish it were there. I didn't have time to put it on the overhead. But some of you will remember it. Go to verse 18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He doesn't retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Micah is blown away by the pardoning God. He is absolutely blown away. Who is a pardoning God like thee? And who has grace so rich and free? And who has grace so rich and free? That, that base, that's based on this text. Anybody, raise your hand if you've ever heard that hymn. A sprinkling. <laughs> it's a great hymn. And I only know one verse. So that's the end of it as far as my singing goes. My heart fills up with love for you because um, God loves me so much. 
and he loves me so much. I feel very profoundly taken by God and loved through all my pastoral, family, personal, season failures of 2008. And I, I hope that as we come to the table now, um, you will look back with measures of godly regret that leads to life and godly thanksgiving. Don't try to blind yourself to the regrets and surely don't fail to say the thanks. But I hope you have a framework now to manage the regrets, to deal with the real sins that you've committed. And maybe you're still in some season of discipline and darkness and you don't have to go under. Be gutsy. Hold on to that grace. Say to the devil, don't you dare rejoice over me. I'm coming out into the light. Sooner or later, he will hear my cry and I will walk out of this darkness. The way we do the communion service on New Year's, seven years until two thousand I mean seven minutes till two thousand nine in the central time zone, um, is that um, we will have a couple over there and who is the Cliffords are gonna do it? Yeah. Evelyn and David and Sam and Campanias, Tony and Sue. And Delks, not you, okay. So let's do Delks there, Tony and Sue here, and Clifford's there. Why don't you go ahead and move to your place? So uh, the wife will hold one tray, and the husband will hold the other tray. And uh, music will play, and they will simply be available, and you will, when you feel led, come and take your peace. One of the advantages of doing it this way every now and then is that it gives an opportunity for you to come at your own pace, eat at your own pace, drink at your own pace, or even do it in a little cluster. A family could do it together, a couple, a couple of friends. Uh, and it gives you the possibility, if you feel like, I've got to make something right before I do this, you might go make a phone call in the next 10 minutes and then come back and take it. Or you might walk to somebody in this room. Who knows? It gives that kind of flexibility to just deal with the Lord for the next however long it takes for us to do this, five or ten minutes. And when it seems to me that you have all come, feel free to come from the balcony whenever you feel like it, um, then I'll, I'll close us off and, and we'll be into the new year by then. Let me pray and then we'll... We'll begin. Collectively, Almighty God, at the end of 2008, we offer up heartfelt thanks. No matter how hard things have been, you have been faithful. You have been good. And we praise you and thank you. And we confess our sins collectively. We have failed in 2008 to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and in other grievous ways. And we're sorry. In our hearts we say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. 
I receive the forgiveness bought by Jesus for me on the basis of the promise, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Who is a pardoning God like thee and who has grace so rich and free? And now we partake of the bread and the cup. In the name of Christ, for the glory of Christ, and in communion with Christ. Amen. So when you come, go ahead and take the uh, trays. When you come, take both and just return to wherever you go to and, and eat whenever it seems good and helpful to you. So all the music's playing. Please come.